Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to episode 100 of this podcast. I say this podcast because technically it began with the title Budget Babe and it's now the For Better Self and Net Worth podcast. And technically it's not the 100th episode of For Better Self and Net Worth, but it is the 100th episode of this podcast recorded with this anchor account. And it's literally the 100th podcast that I'm going to release and that I've hosted, recorded. It's just amazing. And it's really surreal at the same time, because when I think about it, I really, it it just happened so fast. I figured it would just feel like many, many moons ahead before I recorded my 100th episode. But two and a half years later, just this natural cycle would have it, here I am. And I've had a chance to reflect on just so many amazing guests, so many amazing community, friends I've made the long way while doing this podcast. And I just feel extremely blessed. I've learned so much. I'm so grateful to each and every one of you, whether you recently started listening or if you've been listening since the Budget Babe days. I've found that the community has been so incredible. I've learned so much. I've been inspired by each and every guest on the show. I also love getting feedback from many of you who listen. I've met a lot of people online just through the community that wanted to be on the show. I've met other podcasters that have given me great advice. And while I may be the host of this podcast, the For Better Self and Net Worth podcast really represents a community of multi-passionate people who want to be their authentic selves, live the lives that we dreamed of, and be the best version of ourselves, which is going to be an authentic version of ourselves, but being the best version of ourselves and constantly just sharpening ourselves and our skill set. It's just, all in all, it's just been a privilege. I've interviewed a lot of best-selling authors. I've interviewed tech startup owners. I've interviewed a lot of financial gurus, designers, six-figure coaches, other podcasters, and people that are just shattering the glass ceiling that have really turned their lives around. The stories I hear, the results that they get, so inspiring. Some episodes have been really tough and emotional. Some episodes have just been all happy, inspirational, given little tips on how to public speak, how to market yourself, just so much value I've gotten out of this podcast. And it's just because of the people that have showed up wanting to be guests. I, typical story, I started this podcast during the pandemic. I was wanting to figure out what I can do to put impact into the world. The podcast, as many of you know, was called Budget Babe. I just wanted to share ways to save money and get the most from a bank account. Then life happened all around me and... When I looked at my network, I realized I have a lot of entrepreneurial friends and just badasses all around in my community. And it just kind of a light bulb went off and said, let's make this something greater. Let's give people a spotlight to tell their story and what they're doing. The people that we see every day are doing something amazing in their life and they have something to share. So while I am interviewing people with very impressive resumes, I'm not yet interviewing, you know, the top 40 musicians or your favorite reality show, TV star, you know, whoever's popular, but I'm interviewing people that just lived a life like you and I and woke up the next day and realized that they can make a difference and they have made a difference. It's just so inspiring all around. I will mention some of my favorite podcasts. I've learned another valuable lesson I've learned in podcasting is just not to compare myself to other podcasts because 
My favorite podcasts are podcasts like The School of Greatness, Angie Lee and Dear Gabby. They've got a professional team behind them that edit, host, schedule, do all that for them. All they have to do is show up and talk. But I've been like a one woman behind the scenes act. So I've learned a lot about editing, a lot about marketing the podcast. Definitely do better about that. Something I'm really excited to announce is that I've been scheduling a lot of episodes ahead. I've got so much content, seven or eight hours worth of content already recorded that I'm going to be putting out in the next few weeks. I've got um, my first ever series coming up in March. It's going to be a full series of podcasts. There's going to be more than one episode each week. In February, the next few episodes are going to be centered around love. If you're single, please don't let that deter you because it's going to be something for everyone. I'm super excited to share that with you guys. And something else I've learned about this podcast is this podcast was, it started off as me wanting to, you know, have a platform, have a spotlight. I am a theater kid. I do love being the center of attention. But something else I've learned is this podcast is a way of serving. It was a way of serving others. It's a way of giving listeners like you some weekly inspiration and reminder that you can do what you want to do. It's also a great way to feature a lot of people who have written amazing books, have six-figure businesses, and have really lived inspired lives and give them that platform to share with you. So again, just so grateful, so grateful to be recording my 100th episode. And before I get into what I have for you guys on this episode is I want to talk about one of the greatest lessons I've learned in this podcast. There's many of them, but that's that we are always evolving and expanding regardless of our age, the stage we are in life. We're always free to change our minds as long as it's for the better. We're always free to change even our careers, what we want. We can change our surroundings. We can give ourselves the permission to always learn. This is a group for lifelong learners. We can continue to ask questions. We can continue to find ourselves, just want to do what makes us happy and be proud of the people we are. This podcast has felt like a journal to me at times. When I see the expansion of myself and everything I learned from the guests and the community around it and what I really want out of life, I know that I get energized by empowering others and letting other people shine and getting better at just like interviewing. I know when I first started out and I interviewed people, I'm like, oh, this is the point I want to make. But learning to be a better listener because really this content's just been writing itself lately. And sometimes I'll even write questions beforehand, give it to the people I interview and say, hey, this is what I'm going to ask you. This is how you want to answer it. And, but most of them are just conversational. I was like, no, let's turn this into conversation. So super excited about what I'm going to share with you in the next few weeks. I hope you guys enjoy listening as much as I enjoy recording. And this sounds super cliche, but I just feel in my gut that the 100th episode, this is still just the beginning to an amazing journey. And I'm excited to share it with all of you guys. So again, what's ahead for the show? I've already interviewed around eight guests. I got them scheduled. I'm going through over a hundred inquiries of people that want to be on the podcast. So I'm floored by that. I'm floored that there's a lot of people that want to show up. So going through that, scheduling the interviews, going to have it scheduled in advance, going to be able to give you content every single week. Even when I take vacation, even when I'm out of town, I can have things scheduled in advance. I'm very, very proud to be able to do that for you all. And I'll have 
bonus episodes. I'm going to have my first series. Super excited to share the series with you guys. And I, yeah, just again, excited for what's ahead. It's episode 100. It's, there's been so much great content already, but again, I still feel like this is the beginning. And I just want to take time to remind you all that you guys are capable of creating the life that you want for yourself. So if there's a dream that you have and you haven't started yet, go ahead and get started. So with everything and all of that being said, I put together some, a little montage, a couple sound bites from guests that I've had on the show over the years. I wanted to get every single guest, but I wasn't able to because I had the MacBook issue. My MacBook deleted a lot of it, but I did get most people. And you're going to just be able to hear a refresher, some of the words of wisdom that they had and what they've been able to share. If you haven't been on the show and you've got a story, let me know. I might be interviewing you one day and hear about the dream that you chased on the For Better Self or Net Worth community. So all that goes to say is thanks again for listening. And I hope you enjoy this next hour of sound bites from guests of the past. It really boils down to there's a big difference between saving and investing. Mm -hmm. And in the 1980s, there became very popular sayings that we all think are true. You've got to speculate to accumulate, no risk, no reward. And we like to remind people that sometimes savings is the reward and the return of your money is often more important than the return on your money. Yeah, it's it, it's uh, it, it, it can be a little woo-woo at the beginning, but I promise there is some real-world tactical application to this. Uh, what we believe is what we experience. There's literally infinite amounts of information. Uh, this is why history books are inherently um, biased, because you know if, if we tried to truly write a history of Charlemagne or Franklin Delano Roosevelt and and we didn't come at it with a bias, our history books would be infinitely large because we'd have to write down what they ate for breakfast on Tuesday, November 1st or whatever, you know? So it sounds harsh. No one owes us anything and they're not going to give us anything. And there is no magic pill. And unfortunately, there's no politician coming to save us. And uh, we must we must participate in our own rescues, right? We must know that Wherever we're challenged in life, wherever we need to go, wherever we need to be more successful, is it business, is it money, is it relationships, is it friends, is it family, that we are the problem and the solution. It's where my two worlds collide, right, with the music and the sound healing is, mm -hmm. is I, I kind of realized while I was doing the training for the certification to become a, like, a certified sound healer, that I have always been a sound healer. Like that's always been what my music has done, granted in a very different way, but a lot of it's been healing myself. Like I realized after moving here and not performing, you know, I got the day job. We weren't like making music as quickly as I thought we were going to when I first got here, we meaning um, my boyfriend. Viruses, but Hopefully there's a light at the end of the tunnel here and I'll continue to focus on the things that I can fix and not the things that I can't. The other is celebrate those people that I look up to follow what they do, seek their wisdom, 
hire them if I need to hire them and just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, and honestly, we're in this legendary life movement, which is a community, it's retreats, it's experience. Making these decisions is a journey of deep awareness of what's the highest and best good. And that's a great example where you're saying, you know, what's the highest and best good for me is really, you know, cut the sugar or, you know, just not being that sort of state sugar. Yeah. And that's the reason why I actually don't, you know, I might have one glass of wine a year, but really I, because I actually, the sugar is what gets me, you know, I'm not yeah, exactly, a, I'm not a really a drinker at all, but the, it's a sugar. My family's pre-diabetic. So that sugar like shoots out of my system. And the next day it's like, uh, one, three sips of wine. And it's like, <laughs> but you know, everybody I think has to, um, make the best decision for themselves. But once again, what about decision-making skills? You know, in the women's school, we have three types of decision. You cannot collapse all three. It's a skill set. You know, there's high impact decision, low impact decision, and pivotal impact decision. We have to know the distinction because when you make life big decisions, those are pivotal decisions. It's not the same as your daily decisions because we make 35,000 decisions a day. And if we don't know how to make it, we are left in anxiety of indecision for the rest of our life. Which You know, all I can think of. I, I got a message. Yes, so I, got, I got a message from one of my clients last night and I didn't listen to it until this morning. And I've just been so excited this morning because she sent me this message. So she has been struggling with her self-worth, her self-esteem, like she's had sort of anxiety, had this belief in her mind for so long, basically her entire life that everything she did is wrong and that she's not enough. She's not good enough. And she's just um, like, she struggled with a lot of, health issues as well because of all of this and I got a message from her this morning or oh, sorry last night but I listened to it this morning and she basically we we had a call this week and since that call she's had this massive shift um she's been in this highly stressed state going through a lot of personal issues as well but she allowed herself the time to feel out her emotions and feel that energy allow that energy to release from her while laying in bed yesterday morning, I think she said. And ever since she's had clarity on where all of this has stemmed from, which is from her childhood. And now that she's got that clarity, she's able to actually support herself through that and, and recognize where it's come from and have more acceptance of how she feels. And um, she just feels more free. And, oh, my God, it just fills my heart so much to to hear that because my biggest transformations have been in that space as well in releasing emotions, releasing that emotional energy. Because when you do that, you do find clarity on where certain things have stemmed from. And it is the most freeing thing that I've ever experienced. And I'm just so excited for her because I know it's only, I've only just heard about this this morning, but over the next week or so, I just know how much freer, how much lighter, how much more, alive and in love with her life that she's going to feel. And I'm so excited for her. It's important to do what you love and to have passion for what you, what you do. Cause eventually, and I think, I think, a you know, a couple of the, the reasons, my rationale for getting involved in that, um, it wasn't even so much the money initially, the money, uh, became so good that it was like, oh, like I'm wearing golden handcuffs. It's like, how do I, uh, you know, how do I leave this situation? Cause it's like, I'm, I'm set. And, you know, it's like, how do I, 
it was really difficult to leave, but it wasn't the initial attraction. I think the initial attraction was just proving to myself that I could make it, uh, for the first year and that I could, um, live on because you know you, you the very first year you're on a declining salary until you're a hundred percent on commission so I was on you know a hundred percent commission pretty much from you know 1994 um till you know um I mean I've never actually had a salary since 1994 um, because, you know, when I was a stockbroker, uh, for the first year I had a declining salary into nothing. And then, um, event, eventually you're just a hundred percent commission. And so I, you know, it was, and, and I outlasted most of the rookie brokers. We had like 12 or 15 rookie brokers, um, that started with me at that time. I was like last man standing, um, but I was the only woman <laughs> out of those rookie brokers. <laughs> yeah. Do you see that a lot with a lot of adult learners? Oh, yes. There's there's three types of learners. And what you've described would be that kinesthetic learner, the one that needs to get their hands on it. There's the visual learner, the auditory learner, and also the kinesthetic learner. Uh, I, I think it's important not only to get their hands on it, what, what I find that's important with adult learners is to challenge them. You, you don't want to be a facilitator that gives the adult learner everything. For example, the facilitator just talks and talks and talks. You have to challenge that adult learner because the more that I can challenge that adult learner, the more that they can problem solve it with either on their own. Makes a lot of sense, right? Because we're in this environment that's impacting us. You know, the average person takes about 20,000 breaths per day. Mm -hmm. So when you're in this environment that's producing these particles, potentially producing toxins, and every time we take a breath, some of that, those particles are coming into our body, you know, it's, it's definitely going to cause some stress response from our bodies, which can show up in, in differently in every single individual. Um, sometimes you get allergy-like symptoms. Sometimes you get respiratory, coughing, things like that. Sometimes you're having skin issues. Uh, you're having chronic fatigue, right? So it's going to show up um, differently in everyone because everybody has a totally different genetic makeup. But yeah. the point being is like, once you get out of that environment, your quality of life improves. Cause let's face it, who wants to feel like they're allergic to something in their, in their living environment where they spend most of their time, no one. Right. So I'm so thankful that you were able to get out of there and now you're breathing better. You're feeling the difference. Um, I think you made a great point about the vacuum you invested in because, you know, a lot of our vacuums, if they don't have HEPA filtration, they recirculate a lot of these particles back into the environment. They're not removing them. And so just being mindful of that is going to make a difference in your air quality. You know, it's so interesting that you brought that up about the work smarter, not harder method. I would say it probably runs parallel with that. Maybe it might link arms with that, but where what I teach diverges is that sometimes we can go into situations and saying, I'm going to work smarter, not harder. And a lot of times that means I'm just going to do things differently. Yeah. And if you catch the first word in that is I, 
And many times, especially as multi-passionate entrepreneurs, there does come a time where you need to delegate some things. You need to automate some things. And so it's almost like instead of just saying, gosh, if I'm going to cook dinner tonight, I might as well cook three dinners at one time, which I think is a great idea, right? Working smarter, not harder. It's the concept of working hard once. How can you work hard once and allow that to serve uh, maybe the next month, the next quarter, the next two quarters in your business? Yeah. To look out for, and, and let me break it down into a couple of things. And number one is there are three important things when it comes to speaking in front of others. One is you've got to know your audience. Yes. And, and it, by not knowing your audience, all that there can, can affect the credibility. You know, one story I have, and I've told many times, it's part of a networking group. And like many networking groups, usually one of the members at one of the meetings will be able to present for seven or 10 minutes. And at this particular meeting, the architect of the group, this gentleman was a, an actual architect, and he pre presented his seven to 10 minutes as if he was presenting at an architect convention. And most of the people that are in this networking group are small business owners that have no experience with architecture. And probably, you know, we love this guy, we know him as a member, but we, he was talking over our heads. He didn't know his audience. So what happens? They tune out. Exactly. Exactly. So 2019 was like pretty, pretty calm. Like I had an editor and me pretty much the whole year. Um, and then 2020 or late 2019, I found out I was pregnant and expecting, um, a baby in June of 2022 or 2020, sorry. Um, June of 2020. So, um, I kind of just like had two options. I was like, all right, I have a lot of clients. I don't think I can manage all these clients by myself with a child um, at home and stuff like that. So from there, I was like, I can either just like shut down my business and be a stay at home mom, which the reason I started my business is so that I could have income and be at home. Um, or I can kind of pivot and really go all in on the agency model. So clearly I decided to pursue the agency model. Um, and I ended up hiring two people to support while I took a three month maternity leave one, uh, and one OBM. So the OBM was only there while I was gone. She was basically acting as me for that time period. Um, and then once I came back from maternity leave, she left and then the podcast VA stayed. So, um, yes, I did grow pretty quickly. I went from about two, three team members to 10 in like two years, uh, actually, no, we're at 11 now. So three to 11 in two years. Um, so yeah, kind of quick growth. Um, but honestly, I feel like once I got pregnant and had my son, like after I had him, like we just saw a crazy explosion of growth, but I don't know if I would have shifted to that agency model if I wouldn't have gotten pregnant. So I think getting pregnant kind of accelerated my growth because it had to be. And I think, you know, then we had the bandwidth to take on more clients because, you know, eventually if it was just me, I would have reached a point where I could not take any more clients by myself, you know, and sleep at night and, you know, be a functioning human. <laughs> In your community, if you love it and want more of it, then that you, you have to know who your candidates are and 
what experience they had that that drew them and made them successful in the community that you're in because you want more of that going forward if you're not happy then you have to learn about your uh, you know your options as candidates but i think you're right and here where we are um <sighs> You know, I, I think it, it's helping right now to have a villain, um, to, to have something to strongly oppose. I think it's getting some people to step forward and get engaged that haven't traditionally been engaged. Um, and I'm, I think that I'm finding that there's a lot of people that have sat out, especially in my more progressive circles, that have sat out of local politics because there haven't been candidates to, to choose from. Uh, you know, I'm the first Democratic candidate in District 12. I think the last election four years ago was the first time there was ever a Democratic candidate in other uh, districts in our county. So this is really uh, about whether we're successful this year or not. It's really about um, just moving that dial forward, collecting data, getting people engaged, and you know, making it easier for the next generation to to run and win. Have that pulled out from under you for that's something true. That's not at fault at yourself. Totally true. I am a firm believer in multiple flows of income. Uh, you know, and I've always worked in that way. You know, I recently read a book from Grant Cardone called Ten X, and he actually um, also has another book called The Millionaire Booklet. And he had a really good idea. He, he said, you know, try to make your income, your additional sources of income on what you're currently doing. So like if you're a bookkeeper, try to spin off something from bookkeeping, um, but still, you know, keep your main bookkeeping job or gig. Uh, if you're a realtor, spin off something where you can use those skills of what you do every day to make an additional source of income. And it actually, you know, when I look and see the most successful, happy people, that's where it actually statistically seems to be the case. There's, there's a lot of benefits doing that. Um, so, and then nowadays, like you said, completely a good idea, um, leaving one source of income. Well, I, I mean, not for everybody, right. Is, is, you know, having multiple sources, but I certainly recommend, you know, any flow is a flow, you know, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, a hundred bucks is, is a, uh, is a flow for sure. And it definitely helps. Um, I think I say that I, I was skinny when I was younger, but I was not healthy. Yeah. I am healthier now than I was then. Um, I'm not as thin, but I'd rather be healthy um, and be able to move. You know, I do, I do yoga for long-term benefits. I do it so that I can hike the Grand Canyon when I'm 75. I do it so that when I sleep, I sleep. I don't have muscle aches or joint aches. Yes. Sleep is so important. Yes. You know, we go and we rest and we got to have both in equal quantities. We just do. Because, you know, chemicals will produce the desired effect for a short period of time. Right, you know, just yeah. like drinking. But that dopamine. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 but it's not it, it being that you're you're taking a chemical and, and affecting a biological organism such as your body. It's not going to continue to have the same effect. Eventually, your body's going to become accustomed to it. There's going to be an adjustment, and also nutrition, and also sleep play a factor in all this. So, 
you know, all that is a basic fundamental. And we, we, you know, in the treatment industry, we go into getting a person's sleep back in and just basic nutrition back in the basic, again, foundation to recovery. If we don't have good sleep and good health, you know, nutrition in, we're not counseling is and uh, handling underlying issues is really kind of secondary to that because you need to get the basics back in. So, um, in clientele, yes, like your people will be attracted to you and the people who aren't will be turned off by you. And that's perfect. Yes. That's perfectly like fine. Yeah. You're here for the ones who want you, you know? And so again, like, um, but just get back to that question. Like when I think of like making important decisions for my coaching business, every morning I sit down and I really like when I'm, when I'm writing my thought downloads and I'm dumping my brain out and kind of preparing my, my mind and my body for the day, there's a whole lot of prayer that goes into that. And so if I was to have a picture on my desk, it would be a picture that I like to me identifies Jesus, probably who is my business partner. Mm-hmm. There's coaching is serving. Selling is even just serving. Selling is serving. Right. And so when I think of like who I want to take counsel from or be most inspired by, it's probably the person who served the best. Aspect that if you're too busy uh, for that, then I believe you're managing your day wrong and your priorities are out. And that's a bold statement, right? Because I'm calling out the people who aren't doing it, uh, especially those who aren't working out when they know they should or whatever the case is. You know, like I work in medicine and, and so I talk with doctors every day, almost. Um, and out of thousands of doctors, uh, you know, exercise and diet, right? This is the number one thing they mention. But it's more exercise than what you currently do, not exercise and diet. It's more than what you do and better than what you currently eat that got you into a situation where you need it. So, so that's like those are the little intricacies that matter. And, and putting exercise into your day or putting reading into your day, that's what creates you as a foundational person, as a being and being able to be yourself to the fullest degree possible, um, at least until you achieve amazing levels of spirituality or awareness that, that makes you bypass all those things. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so it's a, it's a big, big deal. Um, and in our times right now, like, I mean, look at us, look at America, look at the world right now. Like we're shifting massively. Um, there's a lot of right things happening right now, which is amazing. Um, there's definitely, some, yeah, the awareness level is just fantastic and people are ready they're ready for new ways of doing things that are more logical and, and they're willing and more open than ever before because they're sick of what has existed prior. And I think we get there by not progressing, not foundationally building ourselves, you know, these things I'm talking about. So it kind of still points back to my book a little bit. So I guess ultimately the, the best advice I can give you is read my book, do the exercises, create your own version of it at the end. That yeah. would be the absolute best tip. Um, I haven't had anybody yet go through it all the way telling me that they didn't gain something or some sort of time perspective realization. Um, I love it. I love hearing about it, you know, and that's, that's obviously why I did write it in the first place. I love that. And your last statement about evolving 
constantly learning. That is why I started this podcast. That's why you're a good wow. fit for the show. Thank you. Of violence, maybe a, with the crimes that you guys cover on Seriously Signature Podcast, maybe not the violent crimes, but they're petty crimes. We right. tell everyone what a petty crime is. Yeah, totally. I mean, so Trevin and I do not cover the traditional true crime topics. Um, we don't talk about murder. I think the only time, sometimes in the games we play, we will. And we did do one crime story where a dog like killed some ducks, but <laughs> <laughs> overall our crimes are more of the petty sort, less violent, more ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I'm saying the ducks were getting on the dog's nerves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say, yeah, like most shows, when you hear somebody say, oh, we're, we're true crime and comedy, it's usually people talking about like a gruesome murder or somebody got kidnapped and never found again. And then they're just like, oh, but I, uh, did I tell you I'm lactose intolerant now? <laughs> you know, they just make these jokes around murders and whatnot. And I thought, well, well I don't really want to do that because one, I don't want to tackle stuff that seriously. And and two, you know, some people have a problem with that form of, you know, entertainment. So I thought, well, I don't know of any shows that take, you know, stupid, silly criminals making mistakes or just small time crimes. And instead of making jokes around it, just trying to play at least the retelling of it in a super serious manner. And Totally. That I would say that I, a good chunk of clients that I get are um, is either direction is either completely burnt out people that are like, what do I do next? I feel like a blank slate, um, or people that are not even aware of how they're driving themselves to burn out. They're they're reaching all the success, benchmark after benchmark, promotion after promotion, and they're still just like. I feel kind of dissociated. I, I just don't feel the highs anymore. I'm not even excited about this bonus that I'm about to receive or this um, work trip that I, I've just granted. I've just been granted. Um, so eventually, like these things that, that initially gave us such a high for accomplishments are not re- giving that same dose of, of, of drug, almost it's a drug for a while. And then eventually we build up a tolerance and it's just not that cool. Yeah, I think that credit cards have benefits. Like number one, like they could help improve your credit, right? If you're paying off the balances. And then number two, like you can get points. And then number three, like for for business reasons, like if you have, for example, your money working in your business and you have a business credit card, then you can use that capital outside of your business capital. Now, all that being said, I do think that, you know, credit cards aren't for everybody. They have their problems. Um, You know, it's one of the largest debts that people have. Also, the credit card, the, the way that interest is calculated on credit cards tends to be the highest form of financing. It's the, it's, yes. it's, you know, if you were to separate good debt and bad debt, credit cards would be on the bad debt at the top of the list, you know, because of like, for example, if you have a credit card, that's like 16% APR interest. That means you're taking the total sum of your, your balance, multiply that by uh, 16%, divide that by 12, and then you compound that onto the balance every single month which explains how people get into how their credit card balances increase. Even when they're paying them off, they're increasing because the interest is like, um, they're not outpacing the interest uh, payment. So it could be a very form. It could be a nightmare. And it's a huge cause for bankruptcy too, because people feel like they have to tap out. They can't just keep paying that money. But all that being said, you know, there are ways to mitigate that. Like if your balance is 
you know, $10,000, obviously based off of like credit rules, you want to have a maximum usage of 30%. So like 3000 out of 10,000. And then I would even, if, if you have a, a history of being in debt, I would even divide that by two. So like your max is 1500 out of 10,000, you know, that kind of mentality where you have rules. And this is what we talk about on the show, thinking like a bank. Like when you go to take out a loan, for example, from a bank, you know, they have like a process, right? They're not just thinking in their in, in their heads, like, should we give this person money or not? They have like rules, like, do they live in this state? What kind of assets do they have? Those assets, what's the value of them? They have an underwriter that looks over these things. I, I don't know what to do with myself on Sundays when there's not a new Game of Thrones season. Well, there's going to be that, uh, that spinoff coming or the prequel thing. Yes, House of the Dragon. It's based on yeah. Fire Blood. That'll be cool, hopefully. Yeah. I'm excited. I love the Targaryen house. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't think the series did them any justice. No. <laughs> no. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. I need to. It's a long watch. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Maybe <laughs> on maternity leave. <laughs> but here's what's effed up about Game of Thrones is you're going to find yourself cheering for people to go down. Yeah. Oh. Well, it's, you know, like a football game. You're like, yeah, they got him. Yes, that tummy's out of this world. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I mean, I that would work for me. I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> we love violence. Yes. Being <laughs> cool. quick to argue back and assume the other yeah. know what they're talking about. Absolutely, and and when we are dissociated from our emotions, that the triggering feeling that we feel. Um, can get projected onto the other person. We, we notice it's happening in our body and it's within this conversation. So we blindly, and, and this is what happens when we don't understand our emotional body. We're like, oh, well, if I'm feeling this way and I'm talking to you, it must be because of you. Um, when it might not be, you might be feeling triggered for something within them or um, a way that you're showing up or your own inability to communicate something. We, we don't know exactly what that threat is, but recognizing how your body's responding and what that feels like because our, our ability to interpret emotions is really how we can be guided through this life. That's how we can make intuitive decisions and are actually staying in alignment when we are responding to our emotional body. So there's like so many secret answers into our, uh, our emotional responses and triggers that not enough people like to pay attention to. It's like, we want to avoid it, but like literally that is the map to the treasure of this life. <laughs> yes. Your earlier point, though, just in contrast to what we've just said, because I always look to, like to look at both sides oh, of, of the discussion, to become skillful yourself, particularly in interpersonal dynamics. Reading, watching videos, so helpful for, for building up your perceptions and your ideas. But there is nothing like interacting <laughs> to learn what you can really communicate and how you communicate best and what other people take away from it. And that's like a lab all the time. Yes. And, and if you pay attention and track for yourself, I don't mean you have to, have to write it down and keep notes every day, but if you keep tabs on which kinds of interactions are very successful and which ones are not, either because they don't accomplish what you wanted or because they leave you feeling terrible, you can learn. For me to, you know, having her take, take excuse me, she took me in when I was seven after our biological mother died. Um, and 
it was my opportunity as I saw it to give back to her what she gave to me as far as life is concerned. So I spent that time helping to take care of her and um, she died March 19th. I'm sorry, March 9th, 2019. And in August, I got heart palpitations. I was heading back to start the new school year as a kindergarten teacher and palpitations kicked in about six days before and went to the doctor and I wore heart, um, heart monitor for two months and um, came back and doctor's like, your heart's in great condition and your job is stressing you out. And so I was like, he had recommended I quit my job and find something else. And I was like, wait a minute. I mean, this has been like a dream for me to teach since I was a little girl. And so for him to tell me that, look, you got a choice. It's either your health or your job. And obviously I I chose me. How to choose me, right? The answer to that, because there's so, there's so many different facets to that. I think religion is definitely a big part of this for people who partake in it. But there's this whole other side where people are not influenced by religion. I think it's less, it's not so much about religion itself as about the message that you have to do X. And that message, if it's coming from religious leaders, if it's coming from political leaders, if it's coming from leadership of any capacity, you are supposed to do X. That messaging gets programmed into our heads and then it confuses people. And I think that it causes ultimately a lot of problems because it's hard for some people to separate what they really want to do from what they feel that they are supposed to do. And yeah. that creates a lot, of, a lot of conflict, a lot of anxiety internally. And that definitely comes from self-awareness. It's really asking yourself the tough questions to say, is this really what I want to do? Or is this what society expects of me? Yeah. And that process can be long and tedious for some people because it's not immediately clear. Like we were talked about earlier, there's that spectrum. There is a, a part of that population that is that sometimes can get very stuck in that phase. Because if you think about it, if you're unsure and you're battling trying to separate what you want from what society, your parents, religious leaders, political leaders, from from what everybody else wants, you are somewhat almost stuck in a holding pattern because you can't move forward, right? Because yeah. you're you can't you can't decide where you want to buy a house, if you want to buy a house, how many bedrooms going to have, are you going to, is being near a good school district for you? Is it not? Do you want to take a job or a career that requires a lot of travel? Like there's just so much that it depends which path you take. So there are quite a lot of people in our community that are in this holding pattern solely for the fact that they've been programmed a certain way. And they really have to take this time to reevaluate and assess what it is that they really want. Yeah, and you look at maybe from when you know generations before us were growing up, yeah. and a lot of influencers that I'm follow on Instagram, they found me first. That's right. And, and and if you collaborate with them in business, you know, all the way from like, hey, let's sign a formal contract. You know, this is how I be, I get virtual chief marketing officer gigs. 
I start engaging with these guys. They, I start giving them tips on how to be better. And they're like, you know what? We want to make, we want to make you our virtual chief marketing officer. Cause we see how consistent you are. We see how engaging you are. We need that voodoo for our brand. So you, you, you prove the point by walking the walk. Yes. Okay. With the success, Number, you have yeah. to pull their out. That's right. You gotta you gotta put out good content, which I'll get to in a second. All right. Point number four: the fortune is in the follow up. You've got the list. Your list is growing. You're identifying influencers, but you've got to touch upon those people dozens of times before you'll actually get an appointment. Grant Cardone, a best-selling author, said that about. 10 or 15 years ago, it took four phone calls to get an appointment. He found that it now takes 10. Being a success in life, it really is. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, when you promote yourself out there as a life coach or a personal development coach, people are like, I don't need any personal development. I just wanna make more money. And I'm like, okay, great. So I'll help you gain the revenue in your business that you need to be able to get there. What are your goals? And we'll get you there. Every single time I work with clients on their business, I'm working with them on themselves. I always have to turn the spotlight to work with them on them because they're holding themselves back. They have disbeliefs. Their original blueprint of money, it all came from and seeded from the history back when they were a child, what they heard their parents say about money, what they um, saw, Um, how they lived their life, um, how money was discussed in their home, um, how parents reacted. You know, the money doesn't grow on trees and we can't afford that right now. And filthy rich people, right? If there's negative connotations against being rich and there's negative connotations around money, you carry that with you because that's what you were taught. It's not like you have to go back and hate your parents for it right they were just doing the best they could just like i was doing the best i could and what happens is generation after generation you teach your you teach your children what your parents taught you what their parents taught you what their parents taught them and so it just keeps we just keep repeating right and that's where i'm trying to break that that mold of repetition to help women realize that we need to wake up about money. We need to be responsible for money. We need to know what it would be like to support ourselves on our own. We need to generate income. We need to know what our bills are in our household. You know, I've never been one in my household ever to have allowed anyone else to control the money but me. And I say that because when I was 12 years old, my parents got divorced. So I watched my mom who was a hundred percent dependent on my father, not know what to do at 12 years old, right? And I just watched her flounder, not knowing what to do. And I said to myself, this will never be me. I will. Uh, It's, um, you know, it really is. These are our hormones. You know, this is not, you know, it's not like taking a little bit of medicine for a cold. I mean, this is something that truly, I mean, it impacts your reproductive health. You know, it impacts your uh, day-to-day energy levels, uh, your, you know, your, your cycle. Um, it's just, it's, it's so important to really give credence to your hormones. Um, so I think, you know, definitely you, I'm glad that you kind of came across that, um, that uh, came across us rather, and that you, yeah. you know, or stayed away from some of those other ones, because I will tell you, um, I have also heard the stories about some of the other types of ingredients that are on the market. And, um, 
again, you know, they, they say that they're recommended by doctors and this and that, but at the same time, you know, I will tell you that again, um, you know, the current options that we have are, are prescribed to us by people often who don't bear the consequences of, you know, what they're prescribing us. Right. And, um, and I thought that that was really interesting is that, you know, there is a whole community out there of women who are experiencing all these issues, who aren't talking about it, who need who needs someone to 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 be there to provide them a real real uh, opportunity to um, feel better and to look better. Um, and and that's what I really wanted to do was just kind of at least give the opportunity, give the alternative um, to women who are who are struggling with this. I mean, it's really it's really been a struggle. And um, you know, I I've. If you go on our Amazon listing, and we're an Amazon top seller right now, so we're yes. a best-selling product. Um, we've sold, you know, I mean, we've sold over twenty-five thousand units um, in the past few months alone, and I mean, that's amazing. Like these are women all over the country who are trying this product, um, and uh, you know, they've been leaving reviews that are, I mean, they're really good reviews. Like yeah, I, I, even when I look, uh, it was an interesting little jaunt, I should say, and. It- and then in one side of it is it was three things that kind of collided together in my life. And it was learning about human trafficking. Um, I lived in Asia for 10 years and saw f- with my own eyes what it looks like when, when vulnerable people are exploited and brought into a situation where they are used for sex, for money, for other things, for labor. Um, And so I saw this horrible issue and understood it and knew people that had been trafficked years later, and it kind of weighed on me, but then years later, I saw a video of a man, an undercover reporter who went into Vietnam asking for the youngest girls he could find. And it just, it just kind of ripped me up inside. And, and at that point I realized this isn't just the city that I lived in where I saw it happening. This is a global thing. And this is a horrible, heinous thing that's happening to little girls. And for some reason, there are people who want this. There are people forcing young girls to do this. And there are young girls grow and boys growing up in this life and that just makes me sick and from there i started again this was not meant to be a business it was just something to help my daughter and sure enough her eczema went away doctor said keep using it and i had a few other friends with the same kind of scenario gave them samples and it just kind of grew from there so the business name is after isabel so naturally beautiful and that's what i named the business so i ventured into powder dry shampoos and i couldn't really find anything great on the market so one they're a little kinkier you have to like shampoo them in yeah yeah you know like shampoos some of them are in um like a salt shaker basically and (laughs) it's like well how do i apply this well especially if i have a black shirt on um do i need to wrap a towel around me and then put it in or you know how do i put this in my hand and in my palm and then get it onto my scalp without dumping it all over myself um so i just looked at it one day and was like you know what i can make this better and everything kind of culminated i preemptively quit my job so I, I had not even started SIFT yet. I was just like, I talked to my husband and was just like, look, 
I can't do this anymore. It's not good for my health. It's not good for our relationship. It's not good for anything. Obviously not having the paycheck is going to hurt like hell, but let's see what we can make happen. And so I just started dreaming things up and, and SIFT was the brainchild of that little experience. And I've just been running full force since then, you know, researching things, learning things and, and trying to get you guys this awesome product out there. It's been a great experience. So yes. far. Well, I guess it goes way back to my childhood, obviously. Uh, my dad was a tool and die worker. Um, he never made more than $35,000 a year. And we moved to a neighborhood where two streets down is where all of the millionaires live, the wealthy homes on the lake. And all my friends <clears throat> lived in those big houses on the lake. So I spent most of my time in those homes. And they had every toy imaginable. I mean, you name it, they had it. I didn't. And I'd go home to my dad and say, hey, can I get a mini bike? Hey, dad, can I get an ice boat? Can I get a snowmobile? Because I grew up in Detroit. Um, and he said, no, son, but if you want those things, you got to get a job. You got to earn money. Um, and so that's basically what I did. But those big homes, I knew that that was the lifestyle that I wanted. Okay. And I knew. Um, and that's the thing with regulation is there isn't much of one here. Yeah. So in other countries compared to here, there's about, um, I think there's a little over 300 that we are approved here to use, but you can't use in any other country. Yes. Um, and food as well. Yes, exactly. Food. Um, there's also, as far as legal things, um, naturals. You only need 75% of the product to be natural. The rest can be any chemical on the market. For organic, it's 95% needs to be organic. And the other 5% can be whatever you want. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So I, I yeah. was blown away. It's crazy. It really, really is. And again, that, that goes back to kind of what we were saying earlier, like this idea of everybody asking you, how are you doing? Well, that means who are you dating? If you are dating somebody, when are you getting married? If you are married, when are you having kids? Like we have this idea and even, yeah, even on a show that's supposed to be more evolved and, and more like women centered in terms of actually valuing things that, that women bring to the table, you still see it, which is what makes it so difficult to be living your own timeline and living your unique life. And it's, it's why, it's why so many of us struggle with it. And so often we beat ourselves up because we think, okay, first of all, I don't have the thing that I think I'm supposed to have. I'm really upset about it, but I can't be upset about it because I'm supposed to be a feminist and I'm supposed to be okay with all of this, but no wonder we're upset about it. No wonder we struggle in the way that we do. And so one of my big things that I try to talk to women about is it's okay that you don't feel good about everything in your life at every single moment. Like we are going to have these times when we struggle and we have to acknowledge them. We have to acknowledge, you know, say it's, it's that you're single. We have to be able to acknowledge that being single and not wanting to be single is hard. 
It's a really hard thing to have to go through, but it does not mean you are broken. It does not mean you need to be fixed, but it also does mean that you get to acknowledge that it's tough, that it's really tough. Um, and then we can kind of move from there, but all of this like, oh, just be positive. How many times when I was single did people tell me, if you're just positive, if you think positive, then you'll meet him. It's like, okay, all right. If it were that easy, people, no one who didn't want to be <laughs> single would be single. We finally sit down and we're like, we've got to book a hotel. And obviously by that point, the prices were outrageous and we were going to spend a fortune um, on a hotel, a last minute hotel in Denver. And a friend of mine was like, hey, download the Hotwire app. And I had never heard of it, but um, basically you, it's, it's an app specifically for last minute deals. So it won't work. You know, if you're, if you're like type A and you're booking your hotel, like months in advance, it's not going to work for you. Um, but for somebody like me, or, you know, if like your flight gets canceled at a layover and you, you're, you're stuck in a city and you need a hotel room, um, it's last minute deals. And so you tell it where you're going and you tell it what area you want to be in. So in Denver, we knew we wanted to be in the Reno district, like River North. And um, so we typed in uh, where we were going, where we wanted to stay, um, how many stars you want your hotel to be. So we said four or up, you can tell it if you don't mind, you know, staying in like a two-star hotel, you'll find great deals. Um, we said four. And then you tell it what your, um, like what amenities you want. So we said, you know, there's two of us, it has to sleep too, obviously, um, no smoking. Um, I can't remember what the other one was. And anyway, it just pops up these, you know, last minute deals. And so we found a room that was originally like 270 a night. Um, cause it was so last minute and we got it for $68 a night. And so, yeah, we ended up staying cause what happens is like these hotels, um, they would rather make $68 a night than no dollars a night. And so, yeah. you know, if I'm, you know, looking on Tuesday and I need a hotel room on Wednesday, they're much more likely to give you like crazy deals just to get the room booked. Um, wasn't quite a good fit. I loved it. I love teaching, but I also didn't like the fact that somebody else was in control of my time. And I think this is something that a lot of people end up going into business for themselves because they just want to be in control of their time in control of their own schedules. Um, if that's not something you're interested in, then maybe it's not for you because you really have to be very diligent about budgeting your time and, and, you know, being on top of yourself. But, um, I, I also come from a long line of entrepreneurs. My dad has his own business. My grandfather had his own business and I just kind of grew up like knowing I would one day do that. So when, uh, my husband decided he wanted to go back to school in Florida. We left Chicago. I quit my teaching job. We moved to Florida and I initially tried to get a job and I couldn't. We were in Daytona Beach. Nobody had even heard of graphic design. Nobody knew what that was. <laughs> I didn't realize how specialized I was. And the only choice I had was to start a business. It kind of just happened. Four months old, like I mentioned, when I started the business and at this point, he doesn't know any differently than mom being home, mom being on Zoom calls, you know, traveling sometimes for work. And what I love about it is it's just taught him that this is the norm. Like, 
you don't have to clock in and clock out to a job. You don't have to, you know, have a boss. Like those things are all great if that's what you want, but it's shown him that there is another way and that there is another opportunity. And the best thing for me is being able to teach him at a young age that anything is possible and that if you're not happy in a situation that you're in and you're not growing in a situation that you're in, it's okay to move on to another situation and to build another situation and to dream big and to fail and to learn and to grow. And so I love that I get to teach him those things. And I think that, you know, as you grow as an entrepreneur, different people will inspire you at different times. So, but my son is definitely, I would say the biggest inspiration as far as starting the business, growing in the business, and the reason why I definitely will never give up. Intentionally uh, got a job as a teller, took a huge pay cut, uh, really to just quote, have a job, have the career, you know, that nine to five, Monday through Friday. And then subsequently the teller job turned into an assistant branch manager, personal banker, you know, licensed banker. And then um, I was securities licensed back in 2004. So this is my 18th year client facing. Um, At that time it was with bank one now, what you'd call Chase Bank. And then they actually approached me back in 2007 about becoming a financial advisor because I was closing more business than their financial advisors were. Um, So I never applied. Uh, they just called me up one day and said, hey, you know, we've got this opening for these branches. You're, are you interested? I said, yes. And uh, my first full month as a financial advisor was August of 07. And um, I think my my revenue was just through the roof that month and it, it kind of never went backwards. So uh, locked an indie podcast. So um, Beauty Unlocked, it started with, oh, God, it started years ago, actually. Um, Not the podcast. The podcast is about a year and four months old. But the idea behind Beauty Unlocked started years ago, like I think four years ago. Um, But basically growing up, um, people always referenced or made references about my weight, about my appearance. Um, We're very critical. We're kind of very judgmental about it. And so I grew up feeling that my self-worth was tied to what I looked like. Mm -hmm. And as a child, you don't understand why people have to make those kind of comments. Even even your family members, my family members were making these kind of comments. And so for me, it was just like, I always had, I was self-conscious about the way I looked, my weight and everything. And that started, unfortunately, in my 20s, I developed an eating disorder, um, binge eating disorder and bulimia. And, uh, basically I lost a lot of weight and people started complimenting me and what it did was feed my demons. And so I continued to, you know, I continued this because people are like, Oh, they're telling me that I'm looking great, which means, you know, and because I was losing and losing more weight, they were saying I looked great. And I was like, okay, well, at least I'm not getting negative comments about it. And so it fueled that, that demon or those demons, you know, and, and everything. And so at a certain point, years later in my thirties, I'm like, I can't be the only one that this is happening to that. This I have realized that if I don't get my workout in, in the morning, I'm going to be more stressed out throughout the day. Like I've realized that there is a pattern to it. So 
it's like move your body, change your mind. It's, it's true. It's not, it, it, there's endorphins and there's hormones and it's real. Like yeah, it definitely affects your mental health for sure. And eating too. Like I know that when I'm working out, I'm going to in for the most part, eat better and vice versa. When I'm eating better, I'm more likely to work out. Like it all, it's all connected for me. So yeah. Eating. Oh, name them. Um, name them. Uh, mattresses. Yep. Tennis shoes. Me too. Footwear, just in general. Cause if you're not in one, you're usually in the other. So get the best you can of both of those. And then the third one, we're back to Costco again, toilet paper. <laughs> I make, I made the mistake of just grabbing a rush, grab some at the grocery store because I was running low and it wound up being some horrible single ply situation and I was like, never again. So don't skimp on toilet paper. That's it. Hey friends, thank you again for tuning in to the Budget Babe podcast where we talk about living your best life without breaking your bank. With this episode being recorded a few days before Halloween, I thought I would talk about something that will frighten you. And with that being said, today's episode is scary money mistakes that will haunt you indefinitely. By indefinitely, I mean these mistakes can set you back for years when it comes to your bank account. So there are seven mistakes that I'm going to list, and these are based on the most common money mistakes that are made by Gen Z and Millennials. You guys make up a majority of my listeners, and I'm sure other generations that are listening to this can echo these seven common money mistakes as well. So without further ado, let's dive into mistake number one. Scary mistake number one, not having an emergency savings account. A savings account should be your first priority for a few reasons. We've learned in 2020 that a barrier to your budget is likely to occur, and having a savings account designated solely to emergencies will prevent you from accumulating debt using a credit card or depleting your bank account, which that'll lead to common mistake number two. We're going to get to that. But for many people, around $1,000 is just enough to cover emergencies. I actually made this work for $500 in my 20s. I learned to keep $500 untouched in my bank account and only dig through that in emergencies. And a lot of times I would find ways around touching that $500. So find something that works for you, whether it's $500, $1,000, or $1,500, Keep that maybe in an emergency savings account or keep that in your bank account and never let it go lower than that unless it absolutely has to. Number two, allowing debt to remain and accumulate. So credit cards, loans, as you already know, it can be a great tool to build your credit. We're going to get to that. But personally, I believe having a healthy credit score is important. Some's going to tell you differently and some will tell you not to utilize credit at all. But I found that decision to be more wise is to have credit. But no. So I'll start about CRE 615. There are a lot of great uh, networking and educational groups for commercial real estate professionals. There's BOMA, IRAM, CREW, CCIM, but they all require membership fees and they have uh, monthly attendance minimums for how many classes or lunches you need to attend a year. Um, They also all use the same lunch and learn strategy. And to clarify, these monthly lunch and learns, they are phenomenal. They have first class presenters. Uh, But if your company isn't willing to pay for you to attend these, 
you know, many professionals, young professionals just don't have it in their budget to afford all these dues um, or, you know, be taking two hour lunches. Uh, so at CRA 615, we do not charge members fees and we never will. Our goal is to help young professionals develop themselves and we're not going to put a price on that. All of our revenue is generated through sponsorship fees. Uh, you know, just the personal touch to me, like I take a lot of pride in like what I put into. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I want to show what like my family, my friends, you know, what has inspired me to do what I do. So I bring that, that's how I name the clothes. And because boutiques don't give out vendor names, we're not Gap, we're not Express, you don't know what brands we're buying. So for me, I don't want to do that because I am a boutique and it's meant to be special. But I started that where the vendor names where there's, some, I think I'm up to uh, maybe 20 different vendors I now buy from. But there's a few that are over and over because I just love their quality and the, the shirts are just, the, the shipping's quick. So I get stuff in quick, but, um, I mean them, like their name, they could be, their name's Bella as a vendor. Then I have Jack as a vendor of crunch before brunch as a vendor. So for the consumer, because I'm online and, you know, I do some pop-ups here and there, but if you bought a shirt and you're like, I love the fit of that shirt and the vendor was this, and then I bring new product online and you see that vendor name, like I know for sure that medium's going to fit my body type. Yeah. So my goal is to help the consumer figure out what clothes are best for them that I bring in house that fit their shape and their size. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you my life kind of living this sort of expectations that the society or my parents or my friends or people on Instagram expect me to be or to, you know, to have, like, I remember, like, I'm going to share something really funny. Like it's stupid now, but it's so funny because it's real. I always thought like I had this belief that if I'm not, if I'm not super flashy, like if I don't have really expensive stuff to show up, people won't think I'm successful enough. And I was like, right? <laughs> yeah. but that's because of Instagram, uh, you know, like this, this mentality that you have to flaunt your wealth and you have to be better than others. So people can look up to you because you're not just enough. If you're just good at whatever you're doing, you also have to have the you know, the luxury behind you so people can give you credibility. And that's why we have so much fakeness because, you know, a lot of people are fake. They don't really have those things, but they have to have them or, you know, put themselves in videos or pictures with them so they get credibility. And I think it's such a, oh, such a big block here for a lot of women because I see that, you know, I see that in my practice, how women spend money on things they don't necessarily need. It's not going to make their business be more successful in the next two months, but they believe they have to have it in order for them to get credibility in front of their clients. And anything, you know, surprising me, um, but usually once a quarter, my husband and I are getting together and talking about really just what we've got going on, like a painter or like the pool cover we had to repair, you know, just kind of the big stuff. Um, but when I go in and I look at the QuickBooks and I say, hey, here's how much we spent. Here's what we spent it on. Kids clothes, kids this, kids that. My mom, um, my mom fell, needed glasses, you know, whatever. Um, I can kind of map it all out. But with six children between 10 and 18, it's it's by no means contained. <laughs> it's, it, it very, it very much varies, especially like when big accidents happen that we weren't planning for, you know, like totaling the car. Um, so yeah, we always have a little bit of money in the backstop for stuff like that, but 
I imagine children are where most of the surprises are going to come from and then saving up for their college and oh they're on their own no I'm kidding <laughs> we have money saved we have some money saved but you know to be honest with six children you know I expect probably two or three to go to college probably one or two maybe a, a two-year votech education and probably be one that just backpacks and hits Europe I don't know we'll see how it all plays out but um I, my kids, because my husband has four and I have two and we've kind of joined two years ago. So my kids know that if they want to go to college, I'm half funding with the 529s and, and they're half funding either with their own employment work savings or scholarships. And if they can't get scholarships, then they're going to have to pick a local community college, you know, to go to for the first couple of years or whatever. Um, his children have some money saved as well. And so far we're looking at scholarships for his oldest to where we didn't even have to, you know, come up with anything, but yeah, kids, when you go to, when I go to do retirement plans for my clients in their fifties and sixties, the ones with the children inevitably have the least amount saved. And I think the statistic was I think every child or every two children costs a couple in the course of the entire life of the child about $300,000 in retirement savings because what could have been a 401k contribution of 300 wasn't and then that 300 never grew and so when someone rolls into retirement with basically two children inevitably they have 300,000 less dollars than they should have, or had they not had children. Um, so it's real money and the, yes, they're, they're definitely, I want to say expensive, but ideally they're productive members of society and they, you know, make their own way. And we are very much the kind of parent where we are educating them on everything, you know, between driving and credit to, of course, they all do their own laundry. They do pretty much all their own stuff. We even cook with them. They cook. You know, I don't want to raise children who are not going to be a viable partner for somebody else. And I also want them to have standards, you know, for their partner. And if I know that they have these things in their skill set, I hope that those are kind of their minimum standards for the person that they, they find. Um, nothing worse than being with someone who basically intends just to play Xbox all day and lay their clothes all over the floor and then you pick them up like their mother. That's not the kind of partner I would hope my children would have. And so then I go back on them and say, that's not the kind of person you're gonna be. You, you're gonna make your own way, you're gonna do your own stuff from start to finish. And that pretty much started by the time they were in fourth grade. By fourth, third or fourth grade, they had some, they have legitimate chores. And in the work, oh yeah, and the work just gets more. Where my 17 year old is doing a lot of work and he's looking at me going, wait, wait a minute, I work too. Uh-huh, you work and then you come home and work just like me, <laughs> like how does it feel? And he's like, this adulting stuff is no fun, uh-huh. Yeah. You're absolutely right. <laughs> you and know? in my in my opinion, I think you're doing the right thing by installing accountability into them at a young age. So it's no surprise when they get older. Absolutely. They don't go yeah. through the quarter life crisis or mm -mm. find out why things are always happening or think things are always happening to them. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, 
I'm, I'm, we're not, we're not hard. We, we love to have a good time. We have a pool. We, we love to have um, the kids go, you know, ice cream, Malibu Jacks, you know, we do all kinds of fun stuff with them, but there's certain days where they have expectations and there's certain things that always have to get done before they can move to the next thing. And there's kind of minimum, you know, for instance, their room's always clean. Their beds are always made. Um, they come down the stairs with plates and cups, you know, never come down empty handed, never go up without whatever you had coming down, you know, all that stuff. So yeah. Um, I hope I'm curious. I even Chris and I talk about it. I'm curious to see how they all turn out. Yeah. I'm curious to see where the grand how many grandbabies we're gonna have and where they're gonna live, what types of careers they're going into, because no one really has a, a clue right now. No one really knows what they want to do. Yeah. So we'll figure it out. And I hope at least one or two of them come into this business with us. That's kind of my goal, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, they'll find their passions. A lot of people don't even know until they graduated college, worked for a few years, and then go back to school and yeah. find a passion from there. Yep, exactly. Live and learn. Well, is there anything else you would like to leave us with or any advice you'd like to give us? Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, I, I've asked, someone's asked me this question once or twice about like working with people in general, um, especially as a woman. Yeah. You know, and, how, and what the differences are, you know, between women and men, advisors specifically. And what I have found for me, which is often not the case for men, nor male advisors, is um, how I communicate, how I connect, and the fact that I'm kind of willing to be vulnerable. And so one thing I always tell women all, all over the world is just don't be afraid to be vulnerable. It doesn't mean you're going to be weak. It doesn't mean that, um, that people are going to, you know, you're a doormat or you're going to get taken advantage of. But when you really kind of uh, open up and put yourself out there, uh, people can connect easier and they really can buy into your mission or into who you are. And um, it just makes, I think, the relationship easier to build and and quite frankly, quicker. So a lot of a lot of people who meet me just for the first time, just for 20 minutes, as a client, you know, sitting in the chair, will just just go, gosh, you know, I out of the seven visors I've ever met with, or the three other guys that I've ever had, they've never asked me these questions, or they've never talked to me like this, or they've never connected like this, or I've never gotten to know them. I don't say anything. I pretty much almost just listen but it's the fact that I put myself out there. I allow myself to be vulnerable. I ask the right questions really to allow people to connect to me. And that's most of the connection is, is the you to me, not so much the me to you. Um, so as a woman, I think we don't necessarily give that enough weight and we don't really realize that that sometimes is the superpower. You know, we don't have to just be tough don't have to be strong like a man. Um, really, the thing that makes us sometimes better in certain positions and certain roles is the concepts of, you know, vulnerability, empathy, um, listening, and really, no matter what type of career someone's in, you'll be better than everybody else if you leverage those. So that would be my, probably my biggest takeaway.
And that's excellent. I, that's super inspiring because I know I have oftentimes felt like I had to kind of put on this mask and, and feel like I'm being tough or being a woman in a man's world. I can't show emotion. I can't show weakness. No, but do that, it. I love what you're saying about being vulnerable. I had a conversation with a friend earlier today as we were walking and we both agreed that we mostly work with women as far as real estate agents go, as far as people, we get lenders, as far as doctors, dentists, like about everyone I patronize a new business with 95% of them are women. Mm-hmm. because that's where I feel comfortable. Right. That's where I feel like somebody's going to relate to me. Yep. It's like your natural, um, so it's obviously just your energy, but it's, it's just your the, the inclination. The world sends you more of what you want, you know? Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. No problem. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. You have brought so much great information. If you want, tell people where they can find you. We've already talked about where to find your book, but um, my, my website is suzannepowell.com. All right. And then obviously the books at suzannepowell.com forward slash book. You can find it on Amazon. The title is The Ultimate Money Moves for Women Over 50. Pretty sure you have to type most of that in though <laughs> to get it to pop up because it's new. It just came out two weeks ago. It's not actually finished. It was just the pre-launch. Um, I'll have it done hopefully by late November. That's kind of my goal. So fantastic. I can't wait to dive in. I said it's, it showed me an option to download to my Kindle. Yes. Yep. It's basically just the 99 cent e version, which I'm basically donating to charity. So um, it doesn't charge anything though until it's finished. So wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. Thank you. All right. Talking to you multiple lenders at the very beginning when you first start out with a yes. the goal they can even tell you how to repair your credit what you need to do to get ready and really set you up for success fantastic and how soon should somebody go talk to various lenders i would talk with i mean at least talk with them um the year that you want to do it okay. so if you want to do it and if you want to buy in 2021 you go ahead and start talking to him. Just to talk to him. Yeah. I thought about going to my bank and uh-huh. then. If you are part of a credit union, that's going to be credit better. Union? All right. Then a bank, most banks don't compete with your act. They can't compete as well with just mortgage companies. Okay. That's great from to know. A, from a rate standpoint. Yeah. Mortgage companies are doing their mortgages and that's it. Whereas banks are doing everything and their rates usually aren't as competitive. Into to create, allow artists to create you no know, virtual concert spaces and you know, virtual lounge rooms where they can hang out with fans and stuff. You now, at the moment, there's not much scale and audience. So it's not really worth small businesses going into it, but you just got, for, for the mere models like ourselves, it's a spectator sport to but go for be seeing all this big money, you know, Coca-Colas, Budweiser's, Nike of the world falling, going into the space. And sooner or later, we're going to all going to jump that chasm in two or three years time. And we'll all be living in the metaverse. Yeah. 
You are listening to For Better Self and Net Worth. In this community, we think you'll find your self-worth comes before your net worth and everything else. We also think you were designed to go after the life you want by ditching societal norms, knowing exactly who you are as an individual and going after your unique purpose here on this earth. Every week, Ella interviews an entrepreneur that designed the life they wanted among the challenges, naysayers, and leaving outside their comfort zone. Or you're going to hear straight from Ella, where she talks about the important lessons she's learned in life and how she's achieved the overall happiness she has. This is Ella, the host for Better Self and Net Worth. Based out of Nashville, Tennessee, she makes every single day an adventure. You'll always find her right here behind the microphone, sharing all her thoughts with all of you. And we appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy this episode.